What am I saying? Hey. I thought you were starting. Oh. <laughs> hey, this is Shelby. And this is Courtney. And thanks for joining us today on All Things Macabre. Here on All Things Macabre, we will discuss things under the topics of odd, weird, true crime, supernatural, and fiction. This podcast contains language and content that is not suitable for all listeners, so listener discretion is advised. If you find a topic we are discussing interesting, we encourage you to do some research on your own. You never know what else you may learn. We are just a couple of old friends telling each other stories that we find interesting. We hope that you enjoy this episode and laugh along with us. Through stories that are weird, true, or fictional that will just make you say, what the fuck? And now, for the fun part. You've got a story for us today? Yes, I do. I do. We are going to talk about the Bondurant twins today for our very, very first episode. You seem to know them a lot better than I did. (laughs) I don't know about a lot better. They are little-known serial killers, I guess you could say, from the town we were raised in, Pulaski, Tennessee. It's a small little country town. That's putting it nicely. (laughs) Not not the most fun place, but there are some nice things, I guess, there. Yeah, yeah. So, Pete and Pat were born April 4th, 1955 in... Memphis. Memphis. Some, some sources say Memphis. Some sources say Elton. Regardless, the family moved... Supposedly, if they were in Memphis, the family moved to Elton and settled on uh settled settled in Elton sorry on a farm and they had a farmhouse the twins again were born on April 4th of 1955 and April 4th would put them as being an Aries so Pete and Pat Bondurant were Aries and the tendencies of an Aries are they like to be number one they Of course, it's competition-driven, which we'll get more into that later. The Aries is a sign of a ram. I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, its sign has a... What's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say representation, but as a no, I know sign. they have a constellation. Well, yeah, but I mean, like <laughs> That's the animals. About as far as I know. Okay. Well, <laughs> so for instance, everybody usually has like an animal, like most of the time, um, or some type of symbol. But regardless, for an Aries is a ram. And they like to be bold and ambitious. They are a fire sign, which we'll later get into that. They're kind of grouped in the same group as a Leo and a Sagittarius. Which are because they're fire signs. Yes. And they are all fire signs are known to be just very headstrong, passionate, and... So hot-headed. Yeah. Yeah. But they also just do things without thinking. So they leap before they think. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I've done that. (laughs) They are, you know, known to just be about themselves. Every person is for themselves. And they do have selfish tendencies. No fun to be around. No, no. <laughs> no, it's not. But, of course, again, we will get to that in, in a little bit. Their parents were Pete Sr. and Polly. 
I keep wanting to call her Pat for some reason. Oh, too many P's. Pete. <laughs> There's a lot of P's in this story. Yes. So Pete was a military contractor for the army. Which is why their birthplace is... Undetermined. Right. Because they were moving around a lot. Yes. Before yes. they settled in Elkton. Yes. Yes. Prior to, you know, prior to the events that occurred, hence why we're here... Yes, they moved around quite a bit. Polly, prior to working in the arsenal later... The Redstone Arsenal. She worked for the Elton School, or Elton Elementary, sorry. And then later went to Redstone Arsenal in Huntsville, Alabama. Throughout the time, you know, as we start looking into documents on the twins as kids, they are described as chubby farm boys. And that is quotes almost on every document that we've looked at. They've been known as chubby farm boys or something related to them being obese. I've heard it's about 250 pounds as as teenagers. Teenagers, I think. No, they were even 12. Oh, goodness. And they were like 250 pounds then. Of course, at the, the times that these, they were committed of the crimes that we will discuss, they were at least 350 pounds of each, according to their arrest warrants and reports. As children, they were victims of being bullied due to their weight, and they got bigger. They eventually got bigger than their bullies, so therefore they bullied the bullies. Yeah, these guys weren't just <clears throat> fat. They were they were tall. Yeah, tall, muscle. Like, comp- probably comparable to an NFL player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because they were... I mean, maybe not the muscle part, but the weight in general. Yes. With the height. Stout is kind of like a stout, word I'm looking stout. for. Stout. That's a good word. Uh, they were... Yeah, they and began to intimidate their bullies because of that, because of them being stout. And so therefore, Pete was known to be the more dominant twin. And he was known for his temper, which is, um, and one of our sources quoted him as having a vicious temper. You know, I wonder if he was more dominant for some reason. I wonder if he was like born a couple minutes before or if it was just because he had his dad's name. So hear me out. I haven't heard. I, I don't know if this is like official, official, but like I have heard somewhere that when it comes to twins, there's usually just naturally one more, uh, like a more dominant twin. Okay. Yeah, I, have, I have heard something along those lines. And I think, like you said, can't confirm, but because we weren't there, but maybe Pete was born first. Hence he was, like you said, you know, named Pete yeah. Jr. Yeah, that that is possible. But uh, regardless, he, I will say he's the one who commits a lot more of the crimes than what Pat does. But, I, w- I would know. say he would be kind of jealous of his brother having his dad's name, but I've heard a lot of reports that they were both abused by their dad. Yes. So, yes. So, uh, maybe that's not something to be so jealous of. True, true. I but. Regardless, we weren't there. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of glad I wasn't. <laughs> I'm really glad I wasn't. Uh, Pat was interested, you know, what his brother did. He looked up to him. And so most of the time, if Pete said, or he initiated, sorry, not said, if he initiated a fight with somebody or initiated something, then Pat would go along with it. Um, or, you know, if Pete just wanted to say, hey, I got this idea. I think this is really cool. You want to come along with me? Pete would be like, yeah, sure. You know? So eventually, as they got to become older and became teenagers, like any other teenage boys, they were interested in girls and they were trying to get the girls to think that they were cool and wanted to hang out with them. But they didn't think so because they were these big beasts compared to everyone else in the school, I guess. And very intimidating, yes. Very intimidating. The temper. The temper. Right. They they have a huge temper. Well, at least Pete does. <laughs> yes. And yes. Pat will just go along with it, so. Yes. And so, technically, you know, Pete 
came up with this idea of how about we sell drugs because that's the best way to get women, right? Well, I mean, hell, how many times have you heard someone say, hey, I got a joint, you want to ride? And that's how they get kidnapped, so. True, <laughs> true, true. And again, this was, what, the 70s? 70s, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, this was. They graduated 73, so. Late 60s, early 70s, something yeah. like that. So, so it was around that time. Um, so that's around whenever Gacy got someone to get in his car with the joint. Yeah. So yes, yeah, yes, of yes. course, drugs were going to be popular, especially in a small town where there's nothing to do but farm. Get high. Yeah. <laughs> farm and do drugs. Right. Okay. So they used that to, you know, more or less just say, hey, I got drugs. I'm cool. Hang out with me because I can get anything you want. Does that make right, sense? Right. Um, and so many of the girls were known to eventually start to hang out with them and they became popular because, I mean, they could get, if they didn't have it, they knew somebody who did have it. So they were the go-to. They were the plug. Yes. The definition of a plug. (laughs) (laughs) Growing up, of course, they were inseparable. They were never separated at all until approximately around 1973. So Um, not only are they twins, but they're always together. Yes. And then they have a stronger bond going through whatever they went through at Kind of like a trauma bond, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And the year that they graduated and also where they graduated from is up for debate. Multiple sources, you know, come back confused sometimes. But the one that we found as a common thing was, you know, of course, Giles County. They say graduated, but what part of Giles County? You know? uh, yeah, we, we graduated from Giles County High School. Uh, 08 and 09, we are, yes. we are getting on up there in age. Don't talk about it. <laughs> but we graduated from Giles County High School. I personally never heard they went to this high school. However, they have alumni p- pictures all over the walls. I may take a trip down there and take a look sometime. For sure, yeah. But it's also said that they went to Elkton High School. Yes, and so Shelby and I did some digging because she and I both looked at each other like, what? is Elkton High School. I lived there for years, never heard of Elkton High School. I've heard of Elkton Elementary. So Shelby, I'll let you take it away on your research for uh, Elkton High School. I I had to dig into this because I just never heard of it. So we found out that there was an Elkton school there back whenever segregation was really big. Giles County, I believe, was actually one of the white high schools that got integrated, I believe, around 1966. I don't know if that would make Elkton... I guess it would make Elkton another white school. It was because Bridgeforth was the only black school. That's right. Bridgeforth was the only black school. This was a a very, very well-known town to be affiliated with the KKK, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh... The, the darkest side of the KKK you can imagine at that. Because we're also talking about a very rural, rural place. But regardless, Elton, the high school burnt down. Um, it says in 1972. It says that they graduated from Elkton High School in some sources. If they graduated in 73 and it burned down in 72, maybe they had to change schools for that last year. I'm not really sure. On but regardless, they graduated around 1973. They graduated high school in 1973 at the age of 18, and Pete had started driving trucks and was starting to be successful in his career, and Pat decided that he wanted to stay in the area and try college, so he went to a local college called Martin Methodist College at the time. Now it's known as uh, UT Southern. That's the college you went to. Yes, that's where I got my bachelor's degree. Uh, 
Martin. It was at Martin at the time. At Martin. <laughs> I was, what was the mascot? Go Red Hawks. Yay. Oh, yeah, that's right. The Red Hawks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he only went for a semester. He didn't stay at Martin long at all. And then he decided after the semester, he decided college wasn't for him. Decided to go work at the local rubber plant in Pulaski, which I don't know if that rubber plant still exists. I, You know, I've tried digging into it. If anyone out there has any idea specifically where it is, we have lost contact with a lot of people that were that age in the area. Yeah. Um, we we want to know if that was the old Sargumi plant. Oh, yeah. Where Sargumi is now. I, I think that could have been the old rubber plant. Uh, either way, we're, we're really curious. We're trying to figure out where that was because I heard, I think it burned or something and they rebuilt. That's the rumor, yeah. And I think that was around the same time that Sargumi was built into what they are now. But I don't, I don't know. Let, let us know if you know anything. So, again, just to kind of refresh here, because like I said, a lot of peas. Pete was driving trucks. And that's the dominant one. That's the dominant one, the one okay. who has anger. Pat is the one who stayed in the area and tried to go to Martin, but later went to work at the rubber plant. All right. So, Pat, like I said, was starting his life. He was doing his own thing. And he was running errands. And then one day, he was rear-ended by a lady named Denise. Of course, like normal people, whenever you get into a wreck, you, you know, if it's not that big of a deal, you're like, hey, this is my insurance. I got it, you know, what you got. And you swap the numbers, you know, just in case. Right. Later just on in case road, something comes up later. Decide to not get the police involved. Which is normally the case in a small town. Yes. And so, and also, again, this is 70s. And so they it was late seventies by this 70s. time, I believe. Maybe yes. maybe eighty by now. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they exchanged numbers and uh later on Denise decided to just give him a call because she was just like, Well, hey, he just seemed kinda nice. Let me just give it an idea. So they started dating. That went on and uh three years later they decided to get married in nineteen eighty three. So yes, that would have put them dating in nineteen eighty. So yeah, they were together three years before they got married. Yeah. Okay, okay. And I do know that they had one kid at least named Little Matthew. Of course, that was yeah. Matthew. So during that time, you know, like I said, Pete and Denise were doing their thing. Oh, sorry. See, I'm Pat and Denise. Pat and oh, Denise. Oh, so many P's. At least her <laughs> name is Denise and not like Jeez. Pauline or something. <laughs> right. Uh, Pete. 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 Pete and trucks. <laughs> Pete. Ma- the the master. Pete drives trucks. Oh, manly. <laughs> All right, Pat staying home trying to do the domesticated thing. Which is so interesting. But anyway, It is interesting. Pete was driving trucks and he decided, again, like I said, was being successful in his career so he ended up going to Cincinnati, Ohio. While he was there, he ended up meeting two men. He made some type of friendship, acquaintance, I don't really know with these men. The men, their names were Roger Sellers and Roger Mills. What is with the names? (laughs) We got Pete and Pat and Roger and Roger and there's so many P's and now there's Rogers. Oh, goodness. We may have to come up with some nicknames or something. Oh, fuck, we might. But, okay, so we got Roger Sellers, Roger Mills, are friends with Pete. Okay. with me? In Cincinnati, Ohio. All right. All right. So, Pete was partying with both of the Rogers in Ohio, and the Rogers, that's what we're just going to call them, the The Rogers. Rogers. All right. Roger uh, and Roger. (laughs) The Rogers were having their girlfriends over Sandy and Carol, and when they, Sandy and Carol, were deciding, you know, mid-party, they were like, hey, we're out of cigarettes, we're going to run to the store real quick, so we'll be gone for like, maybe 30 minutes, I don't know. You know, the store's like right down the road. Yeah, they just walked down to the store and came back, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, the store was right down the street. Okay. Um, so regardless, they leave. They're gone. Coming back, you know, fast forward, they come back from the store. They're, you know, trying to just pick up the party. They're trying to do, you know, carry on with their night. And they notice that the door is locked. They go and repeatedly knock on the door. Nobody answers. So they, you know, of course they're getting scared. And they're continuing to just bang on the door. And then Pete finally decides to come to the door and unlocks it. And only just cracks the door open up a little bit. And the girls thought that, you know, he was joking. Because whenever he opened up the door, he flashed this bloody knife at them and said, You're next. I don't know for certain which girl it was that he was talking to. I will say that. But regardless, he was talking to one of the girls and he, you know, said, well, you're next. And she was like, yeah, whatever, Pete. You're, you know, you're bullshitting. Uh, you know. Yeah, they've just been partying together, having a good time. Yeah. So. And so I don't I don't know, like, what was going on with, you know, I, of course, I if I saw a bloody knife, I would instantly be like, what the fuck? Oh, hell yeah, I'd be out. <laughs> but, oh, I ain't, nope. And I, mm-hmm. again, I'm not victim blaming, I, but I'm just saying in my opinion, what the no, fuck? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, you never know what you're going to do until you're in that situation. True, true. Very true. I mean, I've had a gun in my face before and I, I froze a lot more than I thought. Exactly. I mean, so again, <laughs> you never know. I can't say. And so again, like I said, he said, you're next. She thought he was kidding. So one of the girls decided to just push open the door. And cause like I said, she thought he was bullshitting. She then saw one of her boy, or one of the boyfriends, one of the Rogers laying on the couch covered in blood. Pete. See, that's whenever I would have just turned around and gone, for sure. I've been scared to death. Well, I mean, yeah, but then they also ran and saw that the other Roger was laying on the floor. Again, covered in blood. Hell no. So, uh, they, I think they ran in and were like, oh shit, Roger, Roger, you know, like, you're here on the floor, you're on the couch, oh shit, what the fuck? They booked it, like, they got the hell out of there, of course, and called the police. Hey, good. I'm glad they made it out. They made it out safely. I'm, I'm glad they did. So the women called the police and ran away. The police showed up at the home. Pete was still there. I don't know why. I don't know what yeah, he was doing. I'm surprised. I, I figured he would have got the fuck out. You would think, but... You just he didn't. possibly killed two people. I, I, I don't know. I digress, but I don't know. <laughs> um, the police showed up. Pete told the police, again, too many P's. There are a lot of P's. That the Rogers took Pete's money and they had a pocket knife. Alright, so Pete was just, he claimed self-defense, didn't he? Yes, because he had said that the guys took money away from him and they had a pocket knife. That they took from him. That they took from him. Or they were threatening him with or something. He's playing the victim regardless. Yeah. And he begged them not to hurt him because he was afraid that they were going to, you know, the pocket knife was going to hurt him and return it back to him and there would be no problem. Nothing would go on. And then he said that they, he claimed that they had made a sexual advances on him. Again, I'm not there. I don't know. So this dude saying that they took his shit and then threatened him with possibly a pocket knife and then made sexual advances on him? Yes. While their girlfriends are out at the store? Yes. Okay. Regardless, <laughs> he said he felt defenseless and that he... This big old guy felt defenseless yes, against a pocket knife. There's two dudes and they have a pocket knife and they took his money. And they want him instead of their two girlfriends that are about to come back. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's a scheme. I yeah, mean, this totally makes sense. They're the Rogers, right? Yeah, yeah. Pete claimed that he went, air quotations here, berserk fighting for his life and pete says i don't know how the judge is going to take this but it was all self-defense it was either me or them so he he just doesn't care he says look this was self-defense it was either me or them 
I, I went berserk and saved myself. Yeah. Even though it makes no sense. Yep. Okay. Because he said, quote, I'll read that again. Quote, he went berserk fighting for his life and said, I don't know how the judge is going to take it, but it was self-defense, you know, because it was either me or them. Again, a la Aries. It's me versus everybody else. Very selfish. Everybody is out on their own. You know, you fend for yourself. It was me or them. Yeah, that is very selfish. That does go right back to it. The police was like, okay, all right, whatever, dude. And so they just start looking at the scene. Roger Mills was taken to the hospital later because, of course, he was had injuries. He had 46 stab wounds, which 40 of them were done with a screwdriver. Six were supposedly done with a knife. Roger did, unfortunately, while at the hospital, die of his injuries. The wounds were at the chest, neck, and arms. So I'm assuming some of those, of course, were defense wounds because, or well, the yeah, arms at your least. Arms. You you would try to block it from hitting you. I just, of course, unfortunately, it doesn't go into details. Forty of stabs how he did with it. a screwdriver. Yeah, forty six total. That, that's rage. Forty with a screwdriver and six. With and then you knife. switch weapons out. I wonder right. if he, like, did you break the screwdriver? I Why didn't are think you about so that. awful? I didn't even think about that. But yeah, you're right. Because it's like, I'm going to stab you 40 times with a screwdriver. And, and then you huh. mentally take a break to switch weapons. Right. Like, like this is not self-defense. But he was defenseless. Oh, my goodness. No. <laughs> and Roger Sellers, too, took 40 stab wounds. It doesn't say what. You know, if it was a knife or a screwdriver. So, therefore, we don't really know which came first. You know, yeah. the screwdriver or the knife. I'm thinking the screwdriver because... I would assume with all of those stabs, it, it would be the screwdriver first. That's that's 80 stabs, possibly with a screwdriver, between two people. So, that makes me think that Roger Mills was attacked first and then Roger Sellers was later? I'm not sure. It doesn't say, uh, however, Roger Sellers survived. Yeah, so, that, so I mean, that's just my thankfully theory. Thankfully, he survived. So he was able to get away, maybe. I don't know, again. Or maybe when he was in the middle of doing that, that's when the girls came to the door. I mean, think about it. Maybe, maybe they stopped him in the process before he killed him. Yeah. Or maybe he could have switched to the knife. I don't I, I don't know. I feel like if you were stabbed 40 times with a knife, that'd be really hard to survive. I don't it, know. I guess it depends where. I'm not an expert in any way. I, and neither am I. This is all, you know, hypothetical. But regardless, Pete was convicted for 25 years and decided to take a plea deal. Dude, you're guilty as fuck. Uh, Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? So, like I said, he was convicted 25 years, and he did take a plea deal. He was sentenced to seven years of manslaughter, another five years for attempted manslaughter. So, he got off on a murder and attempted murder as manslaughter and attempted manslaughter. Yeah. Okay. So, he's serving, what, 13 years? 12 years? Yeah, 12. So he was sentenced for, or convicted for 25. And only served. And only got sentenced for 12. 12. He's already lucky. But wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Okay. He was paroled after only five years and 28 days due to being an out-of-state inmate and overcrowding in the prison. So they just let this motherfucker go. Yes, ma'am. He done killed someone. Tried to kill someone else, probably because he was jealous they had girlfriends. And then tried to badmouth both of them afterwards. Tried to, to slander their name. Yeah. And then he only had to serve five years in about a month. Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. And, they, and they let him out because of overcrowding. Yes. Because he was an out-of-state inmate. Yes. 
Thank you, judicial system. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, because imagine. If I he feel very safe in America. If he would have saved those 25 years, imagine how this other, you know, would have played out. But he didn't. He oh, my goodness. out and five years later. And so this all happened on August 4th, 24th of 1974. So this this night that this happened, it happened in 1974. So it happened like a year after they they graduated. Yes. So he he was out doing his own thing, but but he didn't get very far. For after a year, he was pretty much lost without Pat. Yes. Yeah. And he couldn't even survive a year yeah, without he, going berserk. Yeah. 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 Because they again, like I said, they were so I want to say that twin thing. The twin. Yes. They fed off each other. They didn't know how to do anything without the other one. They were very dependent. Dependent on each other, correct. I, I, yeah, I could, I could see them being dependent. Is that a good each, terminology? On each other. But yeah, they, uh, yeah, they were dependent on each other. But, you know, like you said, a year after all this happened, Pat just, Pat felt, just lost it. He didn't know what to do without Pete. And here we are. Wow. <laughs> and after this, Pete decided to move back in with his brother, Pat, and Pat's now wife, Denise, and Elton, and the farm home, farmhouse that they, you know, grew up in that they had on. In Elton, Tennessee. In Elton, yes. Okay. Sorry, my too many words, tongue twist. You know, whatever. Denise was not supportive of this whatsoever. But uh, she didn't like them together. No, no. Well, I guess because Pete's a bad influence, and Pat just went along with it. Uh, I mean, I don't blame Denise because Pete literally just got out of prison for attempted murder and murder. No, I wouldn't want that fucker in my house either. And so, I mean... I wouldn't want to go sleep at night. Regardless, Pat was like, you know, whatever, I'm the man, I'm going to make the decision. Yeah, this is my house. So, Pete fell back into his old ways of the leadership role and, you know, went back to telling Pat what to do. Of course. And Pete was like, hey, dude, you know, how about we go back to what we were doing and let's start selling drugs again you know it was easy money right you know what do you think about it and so then pat was like sure therefore they started running this or having this like drug ring come through the farmhouse in elton and so they're back to their high school ways yes yes and as you and i know elton is very very rural rural i can never say that word elton is even worse than pulaski yes uh it's smaller Yes, it's very it's, small. It's a little closer to the Alabama line. Pulaski's only about 30 minutes from the Alabama line. Yeah. So it's, uh, I would say Elkton's only about 15 minutes, if that. And it's a lot of woods, and especially where this this farmhouse is. It's There's nothing out there. There's nothing it's out farmland. there. farmland. Of course, they didn't really get any attention because they lived in the middle of nowhere, right? So Pat, he was known around this time to just get into odd things and like to have attention because Pete's back in the picture, so, you know, Pat's not getting that... Oh, he's not the head anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, he just decided to do some things for shock factor, and while he was at work, he was known a couple of times to sit down at the lunch table and, I don't know, take out the occasional pack of raw hamburger meat and stuff it in his face with his bare hands. That sounds like some E. coli gonna happen. I don't think I'd be doing that. I don't even want to think about what he was doing, but regardless. I hope it was, I hope it was hamburger meat. (laughs) We're going to tell ourselves it was hamburger meat, okay? (laughs) I sure hope so. But either way, it was. It seems crazy already. It was raw meat that he would just shovel in his hand. Still, they were still odd, had this odd following, I guess because of the drugs, you know, people excuse their odd behavior because they gave them drugs. So they, everybody else saw they were cool. Um, Oh man, you fucking crazy. Oh, you're going to give me some drugs, man. You cool as fuck. Right, right. That's about right. Exactly. That's about right. 
And so they were known to have a, quote, Manson-like following. Because well, I could see that with the drugs and the partying. People every, you know, I guess staying the night all the time, staying over there partying or whatever. Because the farmhouse was known to be very similar to the ranch that uh, Spokane. Spawn Ranch. Or Spawn? Spokane? Spawn? I think Spawn. Spawn was the movie set they took. Spawn Ranch. Yes, yeah. you're right. Yes, yeah, Spawn. Spawn so, Ranch. So similar to Spawn Ranch. Yes, yes. Again, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, of course, you know, Spot Ranch had multiple buildings. I don't know what they had. I just know they had a big farmhouse. Farmhouses are huge. They, so, they are, and they might have had a barn or something. Maybe, yeah. So, they did, because they had pigs. That, that's right. That's right. So, there you go. Regardless. Um, they were known to be, have a Manson-like family a following. They were known to have, again, lavish parties uh, at the farmhouse, and people all over the community knew them because of the parties. So, at this time... Small towns. Nothing to do but sp- drugs. Again, yes. I got you. So, word travels around quickly, as it does. 24-year-old Gwen Duggar, which we'll get into her story here in just a second. I'm going to give you like a brief backstory on her. And that uh, she's about the same age as them, right? They're about 23, 24 at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Give or take. But Gwen had heard about the parties and she was like, well, you know, why the hell not? That sounds about right. And in May of 1986, she decided to come over because her brother was friends with the twins. And he had mentioned to Gwen, oh, hey, I got to go over here to the Bondurance house. I got a car that they're going to help me work on. So you won't come with me. Gwen said, sure. Why the hell not? You know, I heard that. I heard about their party. So I'm going to go check it out. So she goes and she ends up meeting the twins and she becomes really comfortable, mainly with Pat. Well, he's the more level-headed one of the two. Yes. Yes. And so she, you know, starts to have this, I wouldn't say friendship, but she feels comfortable with him. And she tells her brother, you know, hey, you know, because the brothers were getting ready to leave because, you know, the car wasn't fixed. But she was like, you know, I'll stay here with the car and I'm going to hang out with Pat because I want to continue our party. I want to continue what we got going on. The brother was like, all right, I'll see you tomorrow. He goes on about his night. And that was basically the last time that Gwen was ever heard from or seen again. So she just disappeared after yes. staying the night with the Bondurants. Yes. Which is a theme. <laughs> You know, they were... I mean, they they figured it was them, right? Yeah, they did. They did, but there was no body, as we'll get to that in just a second. Oh, no body, no crime. Spoiler alert. After she was discovered missing, she was immediately, you know, suspected to be, again, as you just said, a victim of the Bond Durant twins. But as we just said, there was no body, so they couldn't So no body, no crime. And because, again, these guys are known to be big, bad, you know, vicious people, so... And no one was going to say anything. If we don't have proof, we can't because we might end up like her. Yeah. No one was going to say anything. They didn't want to be the next one that disappeared. No. I mean, these guys run these towns, basically. They've got the big drug ring. They've got the Manson-like following. If you say something, it's like a like a gang almost. Yeah, because Pulaski is so, so small and Elton, you know, falls yeah. into Pulaski. That... It's kind of like a Tri-City area. It's so small. They just all form one area. Yeah. So, yeah, they had a big following. I mean, because they controlled everything. Because everybody was like, hey, if you want to get some drugs, like if you want to get some weed, you want to get some pills or heroin, I don't know what tried to do. Uh, yeah, I don't know using. what they had exactly. I guess narcotics. Yes, narcotics. Yes. Weed, narcotics, you know, what have you. We'll start with that. You know, then I know your guy. And so, you know, you tell a friend, they tell a friend, they tell a friend, and then everybody knows. But regardless, like I said, uh, Gwen was suspected to be a victim, but 
Again, nobody. During this time, it was just not a good time for either one of the twins because Denise and Pat were at odds. Well, I imagine they would if he's talking to this chick at a party. Right. I mean, yeah. He's got a whole wife there. I mean, it kind of reminds me of Pinky from Friday, you know. Man, I got a a whole wife and a bitch on the side. Well, that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to have a whole wife and a bitch on the side. But, so Denise caught on to his bullshit and she was like, man, you know, fuck you. And you bitch on the side, you know, and because poor Denise had been through it, Pat was not obviously the most committed man or the nicest man. He well, was very... especially with Pete around, I'm sure. Yes. He was very abusive to Denise. Um, it was reported that when one of the times when Denise was pregnant, they had gotten into a fight and Pat had threw Denise on the floor and began to choke her and hit her. Um, he also held a gun to her, her face or to her head. The only way that the fight ended was because Denise's older sister broke the fight up. Uh, when, when did this fight happen? Was it after the party? Yes, it was uh, three years after the party. Three years? Sorry, three months after the party. I'm <laughs> it's sorry. It's a big fucking difference. <laughs> <laughs> three months after the party. All right, so so she had already, like, really been through some shit. Yeah. Like, she had already seen him hitting on this chick, and now he's beating her ass while she's pregnant. So she dips. Yes. Yes. The, again, sorry. This is three months after. Smart move. I mean, she should have left before that. If, if you're in any kind of situation, get out if it's bad. Yes, but... <sighs> It can sometimes be... I know, it can be know, challenging. It can be very challenging, especially with these guys. Yeah, I I gotta say, I would be terrified. I mean, she's... And they could probably track her down. Married to a man who's suspected of a woman, you know, possibly murdering a woman. Her brother-in-law was Well, she's charged. missing. And or, then, or, yeah, sorry, her, yes, sorry, her brother-in-law was charged with what should have been murder and attempted murder. Yes. And so, uh, sorry, again... So just to recap, this was three months after Gwen had went missing. So this was in August of 1986 when the fight happened. Okay. Three months after, Denise left. They got into a fight. The fight was broken up by Denise's big sister, or bigger sister. And so Denise decided to go live in Athens, Alabama. Which is sister. not very far away, really. It's maybe 30 minutes from Elkton. From Elkton, yeah, give or take. 30, 30 45. Yeah. Yeah. Denise went to go live with her sister in Athens, Alabama for two months. They had Matthew at the time. He was three years old when all of this was occurring. Leading into all of that, because he had cerebral palsy, he received a monthly disability check. When Denise left, they didn't they didn't officially divorce. They just left. They just separated. They separated, yes. And so Denise was a full-time mom tending to Matthew. All the information for the disability check was sent to Pat's home. Because that's the home they shared together. Yes. That makes sense. And so she would, every month when the check would come in, she would contact Pat and say, hey, can I have the money or for Matthew's disability check? Because that was her, that was her income. She would use that as her monthly income to go on and on. So in October of 1986. So a, this is only a couple months. Yes, this is only a couple months after that. So it was this August, must be August, September, October. So two Right after later. she left her sister's. I know she got an apartment in Pulaski Yes, that's or right. Something. Yes, she used to check to eventually save up to get a, an apartment in Pulaski. Again, like I said, she stayed with her sister for two months. So this is in October. Yeah, that gives so that's you time right. to get a little, a little bit of money under your belt and get on your feet. Yeah, because I don't know how much the checks were. I didn't find any. Well, I know the, rent was probably a whole lot cheaper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for I know, sure. It's insane now. 
yeah, you could run off a disability check. But mm-hmm. anyway, she got her apartment. She was doing her own thing in Pulaski. So she was continuing her co-parenting thing with Pat. Pat was still working at a rubber factory in Pulaski. And so in October of 1986, a co-worker of Pat's by the name of Ronnie Gaines also went by the, the nickname Hippie. Um, he was born and raised in Pulaski, Tennessee. All of a sudden, like I said again in October, Ronnie went missing. Nobody knows what happened. Until... He just disappeared in thin air. Yeah, he just disappeared. Again, he was a co-worker of Pat's at the rubber factory. His last known place to be at, surprise, surprise, was supposed to be at his home, at Ronnie's home, playing cards with Pat. And it later came out in court documents and everything, um, because Pat was the last person to see him, that Pat later accused Ronnie of stealing his wallet, which had the monthly disability check for Matthew in it, supposedly. So this dude pulled a Pete, just like his brother, and snapped. Yes. He killed him. Yes, supposedly. The next morning, Denise, again, was trying to look for... She was looking for Pat because she needed her check. Because, again, like I said, it was a monthly time. First of the month, so I would need my check. Well, yeah, I mean, And absolutely. so she knew the best place to try to meet Pat was... Um, she had heard that he was at Ronnie's house. So she went to Ronnie's house the first time to, you know, say, Well, I know this was where he was last at when I talked to him. Nobody was there. She went to the door, knocked on it. Nobody came. Nobody was at home. So she was like, well, I heard that Pat was supposed to be working overtime at the rubber plant. So I know he's going to get there a little bit earlier. So she goes over to the rubber plant at approximately 11 o'clock in the morning. Had found out that Pat just decided not to come in or maybe the overtime was canceled. I don't know. Regardless, he didn't come. He wasn't supposed to be there until three o'clock. Oh, it got pushed back or something. Yeah. I'm sure. So regardless, you know, like I said, for the purpose of the conversation, he wasn't supposed to be there till three o'clock. So she goes home somewhere, I don't know, and comes back and she's waiting. She gets there, I think it's like approximately 2.30, I think is the time that she reported that she got there. Pat got there at 2.45. He arrived at work at 2.45 in a white Plymouth or Dodge. Nobody, Plymouth, sorry. A white Plymouth or a Dodge. She wasn't sure what the car was. She just knows it was white. Um, He pulled up and he parked beside her. Denise just looks over at the car and sees that the passenger side, the rear passenger side of the car was covered in blood. Like blood was smeared across the passenger side panel of the car. Denise kind of picked her head out and kind of pointed at it and was like, Pat, what, what is this? And so Pat was like, oh, well, um, do me a favor and act like you're sick. I just need you to just cause a scene, do something. I don't know. Act like you're sick. I'd like have been fan. terrified by then. And so Denise was kind of like, um, okay, I'm going to do whatever you say. And so Pete ran into the office of the rubber factory and he came out with wet paper towels and he handed one to her and he said, here, take this and put this on your head. Act like you're sick, you know, continue to go play along with what we just said. And so she did so and it was just causing a scene, I guess, acting like she was passing out. I don't know what she was doing. But he attempted to wipe the blood off the car with the wet paper towels that, you know, the extra paper towels. Because he used her being sick as an excuse to go get the paper towels. Trying to be slick, get extra stuff. So it looked, he had an alibi for why he got paper towels. Yes. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And so Pat was like, well, since you spotted it. I'm going to confess and tell you what the hell I did. Pat's story is that he and Ronnie were at Ronnie's home drinking and playing cards. Pat suspected Ronnie of cheating. He said that during the game, they were playing poker and he uh, accused Ronnie of cheating. And he said that, you know, sometime within that night, Ronnie supposedly stole Pat's wallet, just continued to 
harass Ronnie, supposedly. Again, this is all Pat's words. We don't know. Pat became angry and decided to, quote, or beat up on Gaines because he went off and took a rocking chair and hit him. The rocking chair was supposedly a small rocking chair. I don't know what is the definition of a small rocking chair. I would assume like a, like a child's rocking chair. Okay. Okay. So, um. Yeah, I've seen those at Cracker Barrel, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So supposedly he took a small child rocking chair and he hit Gaines with it because, you know, like I said, he was angry. He continued to beat Gaines as he was beating him. He kept repeating, no one steals from little Matthew. Again, Matthew is his son. The check was in the wallet. And the check was in the wallet. And he justified saying that because Gaines was cheating and he also stole the wallet that he stole from Matthew because he stole the check. Pat confessed and said, you know, later on after he was convicted, spoiler alert again, but after he was convicted, Pat admitted that even after 30 minutes of him being aware that Gaines was dead, that he continued to hit him with the rocking chair and only a small piece of wood was left. This was pure rage. For sure. That is insane. You, how do you beat someone for an extra 30 minutes after they're dead? But again, this is reported 30 minutes. So it's 30 minutes to him and 30 minutes to us. Because this might be a short moment, but it might seem like 30 minutes. I don't it, know. It could. But it could. It, he just reported that 30 minutes. I guess minutes. the adrenaline at the time. Yes. It could have been a little different, but still. Still. Still, he, he still beat, beat him. beat him after he was dead. And said that it was only a small piece of the rocking chair was left. That is insane. He's uh, fucked up. Well, it gets it gets worse. Um, so afterwards, Pat reported to Denise that he had put Gaines's body in a bathtub and called his friend Mark Morrow, who lived close and was actually just happened to be across the street at a truck stop known as the Shady Lawn Truck Stop. Truck Stop, aka the locals call it the Big Chicken. The Big Chicken. <laughs> there is a giant. I would say probably <laughs> ten or twelve foot chicken there. Yeah. With yep. a spoon and a fork. If you ever drive down I-65 coming near, uh, I don't even remember what exit it is. 12 maybe? Something like that. It says Elkton. It's, it says the Shady Lawn Truck Stop on there. You should stop by and get a picture with the giant chicken. <laughs> so regardless, Mark was over at the Big Chicken. Pat had asked him to go get his brother Pete. So, so Pat asked Mark to get his brother, yes. Pete, for help. Yes, and for Mark and Pete to come to Gaines' home. He's just dragging them down with him. He is. So Mark goes and gets Pete. I don't think they knew what the hell was going on. They just know I don't think to meet with these Pat. guys it matters. Or it matters. True, true, true. So regardless, they meet up. Oh, shit. Oh, they chopped the body up. They began to chop the body up and cut him into pieces. And after they cut it, the body up, or Gaines's body up into pieces, you know, and they placed it in the bathtub and they cut it up. But after that was all said and done, they picked up the chopped body pieces, placed them somewhere else, and poured Drano down the tub for, quote, in case there was any loose hair or blood. So they're trying to cover up the crime. Yes. Which already keeps them from getting any kind of insanity or heat of passion right yes yes but they of course remember they do everything head first aries again you know oh, that's right that's right those rams they just <laughs> bust right on in with their head don't think <laughs> so 
at the time, it seemed like a cool idea to chop him up, and put him in the bathtub, chop him up, and then pour Drano down the tub to, again, get rid of any loose hair or blood. So Pat and Pete then went, you know, and put each of the pieces of the body into a truck, took it to their parents' home in West Point, Tennessee. West Point is an hour away from Elkton. West Point is literally in Lawrenceburg. So they put Ronnie's chopped up body in their truck and drove an hour? Yes, yes. To their parents' home and somewhere in West Point, which I think, and West Point at the time was, again, not as up and coming as it is right now, if that makes sense. And it's not really up and coming. So it's another but, small rural area at the time. Yes, yes. There wasn't as many houses there at the time. But they went to the parents' home, took the pieces of the body, and put it approximately five feet away from their parents' back door. Well, that's just inconsiderate. And set it on fire. That's very inconsiderate. And you couldn't even get away from the house a little bit? Apparently not. They just wanted, I guess, to be able to just sit at the door and watch it. Cause Lazy motherfuckers. <laughs> They've already chopped it up. They put that much effort into it. I guess you got a point. <laughs> Fast forward back to, you know, the whole reason why we're talking about this is because Denise found the blood on the car, right? That's right. She found the blood on the car. She played sick. Yes. And so he said, well, since you discovered the blood and since you found out about it, I guess I kind of owe you one. And I'm going to give you one third of the, quote, burial expenses, end quote, meaning the money that he had found on Ronnie when he was playing poker with him. So I guess whenever they were playing poker, you know, Ronnie brought some type of amount of money to play poker. You know, well, yeah, of course, you're not going to play bet. poker as an adult without money. Yeah, yes. So, I don't know. It was an undetermined amount that he had, but he... But he gave her shush money. Yes, yes. That's, he, that's all that was. That Exactly. So, Pat gave it to Denise and said that, you know, that was a part of the burial expenses. Gave it to her for discovering the blood. And Denise later reported, again, in court, that one of the $20 bills that Pat had given her... Or Gavin, her <laughs> Pat had gave her uh, had blood on it, so she literally got blood money. <laughs> yes, that yeah. is awful. Yeah, literal. literal I mean, money. yeah. I guess I could see her taking it because at this point his wallet is missing, so she doesn't have that disability check of her True. sons. True. So I guess she would be kind of forced into taking this shush money. True. And hell, I'd be so scared. That I would have to take it. Yeah, because you later will find out some things that she also witnessed prior to I mean, this this, this dude could have her killed if he doesn't kill her himself. True. That, that, yeah, I, I don't I don't blame her. I think with blood on it, I'd be terrified, though. <laughs> like, how are you going to spend this? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, same day that she discovered the blood, later on that night... Pat showed up at Denise's apartment in Pulaski and asked if he could take a bath. So again... Well, he's probably a dirty motherfucker. He left from... I'm assuming. Again, we don't know. I'm assuming. But I don't know. Think about it, though. He probably came after work, maybe. Because if he was already in Pulaski, because that's where the rubber company was. Oh, yeah. And she lives in Pulaski. Um, so he just showed up at her house and decided... He said, can I take a shower? He left around approximately 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the morning and said that he had to go back to West Point, again, which is 30 minutes from Pulaski, and said that he had, quote, had work to do there, end quote. Um, I bet he does. <laughs> five, five feet from the from the door. Well, this is after the five feet from the door thing. Well, yeah, he's probably got soot everywhere. 
Yeah, he's got to continue the what he started. Yes, I for mean, sure. Does he not think his parents are going to find this shit? You know, the parents are never brought up anymore in terms of like how they reacted to this, hmm. which is interesting. Oh, I wonder if they tried to dodge media because of embarrassment. I mean, I would. I, I would too. <laughs> but again, you know, like I said, he said that he was going back to his parents in West Point, and she Denise said that she then saw him again the the following afternoon. So the so this is now on Sunday. The following afternoon is Sunday. Denise went to the farmhouse in Elkton. So Pete and Pat are now at home in Elkton. All right. So she got this money from him at work in Pulaski and yes. goes home. Mm-hmm. And this is the next day. Yes. She goes out to the farmhouse. Yes. Okay. She went out to the farmhouse in Elkton. Pete and Pat were at home. They had previously, before Denise had got there, invited a friend named Rodney Randolph. Um, These names. The alliterations, I know. Um, Rodney Randolph to the house. And Pete, Pat, and Rodney were sitting on the porch drinking and supposedly were using narcotics, according to Denise's report. She said that she had walked up to the porch and, you know, had greeted them. Pat just pointed to a corner in the yard and all he said was, that's what's left a hippie. Denise said she looked over to where he was pointing at and, quote, said that she saw a big round lump smoking in the yard where he was pointing at, end quote. Can you imagine just somebody just pointing over there and you just seeing this thing? No, no, I can't. Like, that that's something out of a horror movie, like... What are you showing me? The pits of hell raising up from the earth? <laughs> that would be terrifying. Like, what did you do? So I don't want to know. Uh, I guess she already knows, though. Yeah, she assumes, I guess. I mean, she, she's got the blood money. Yeah. So, I mean, she's got a pretty damn good idea. Yes. yes. And he just said that's what's left of him. So, yeah, I, that's terrifying. So, Pat later went on to tell Denise that after he left her home... You know, approximately at twelve thirty, one o'clock. So if so, he got at his parents' house at West Point at the latest one thirty, one thirty two o'clock approximately. Okay. He spent uh, he spent the rest of that time gathering up the remaining body parts of Ronnie and decided to bring them back to Elton because he was concerned of the body parts sitting in West Point, they might draw attention. And so he figured, well, we'll bring it closer back home so I can watch, you know, just kind of keep up. A, I guess he can't with... see if someone's poking around whenever yes. he's working in Pulaski. So he's, he's a lot closer at home. Yes. And so it's easier to keep up on everything, watch the body, you know, kind of keep up with what's being said at work. Cause again, this guy's a, no, a coworker. I guess it would be easier to threaten people as well. True. He said that, you know, he was just going to keep an eye out to hear, you know, about updates regarding Ronnie's disappearance. Pat explained to Denise that body that he was burning, he had to make sure that he got the temperature very hot. And in order to do that, he used rubber from work. It does take a lot to incinerate a body. I think it's something like a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. I think something. I don't know. And not only that, even at a thousand degrees, it's several hours, several hours to get a body to go to ash. And even then it's not completely ash. You've still got big chunks of bone. Which uh, supposedly, I guess why was the quote lump that was... I guess that would be a lump. And so to expedite the burning process, he took rubber from work and lit the rubber and I guess put it around the body. I don't, I don't know what he did. I guess that would burn 
hotter. It would cause the temperature to raise. And cause the fat of the body to burn. But yeah, regardless, you know, that was something that Denise had uh, later testified. She said that it took, or she said that she had later testified saying that she knew that it took at least two and a half days to burn a body. It hasn't been two and a half days at this point. No, but that's something that Denise will later, you know, go on to say why she knows it took two and a half days to burn the body. We'll later find out that it only took for, for this case, for, for Ronnie, it only took him a day and a half for his body to burn. So they learned how to cut a day out of it, but there's something unknown. Yes, which we'll get to in just a second. So Denise, after this whole thing happened, just decided to stay approximately 30 minutes later. We don't know. And at the farmhouse. At the farmhouse. Like after, after he had been like, hey, that's the rest of Hippie right there. Yeah. Yeah. She decided to stay approximately 30 minutes after. I'm probably terrified that she would run off to the cops. That that's what they would think if she left. So she tried to play it cool, yes, because she does later say she was afraid. I, I would be. But. I don't blame her. Um, She decided to stay approximately 30 minutes later because Pat had asked if. If she would take him and Pete and their friend Rodney to the Tennessee and truck stop. Which that's right off exit 22 off I-65. Yes. So that's not very far. So. Maybe, maybe about 10 miles. I don't know. I, I don't know why they went to that particular place, but they just decided to go there. Uh, but well, I, was, I have heard they have really good food. Maybe that's what they did. I, <laughs> I don't know. Um. Well, it burned down now, but that's beside the point. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. But this is all Pat's request. He also requested that Denise call the rubber factory and pretend to be Joyce Gaines, Ronnie's wife, and report that Ronnie was going to be off work until approximately Tuesday. Oh, so he drug her completely into this. Yes. So now she's a part of it because she's acting like his wife, like Ronnie's wife. Yeah, yeah. Just to kind of buy time and kind of feed more So they won't think the he's missing. Yes. So it'll buy a couple days for him. Yes. Pat then... Pat or Rodney, I'm not sure, had asked that Denise take them to Lewisburg, where Rodney used Pete's Medicaid card to get a prescription. So, obviously, they were doing some pills and stuff, too, not just narcotics, but probably barbiturates and yeah. muscle relaxers or something. Yes. I'm not sure in, in the 80s, like, muscle relaxers and stuff <laughs> like it is now, but I know muscle relaxers are big now, but some kind of script he got. Yeah, for something. Yeah, that we're gonna sell. Either way, he he got this off a false claim. It was uh, it was not even his Medicaid card. Yeah, it was Pete's Medicaid card that he used. And I believe that's a felony, isn't it? I think so. So this dude's right there along with him doing the same shit. Yes, yes. It's bad news. Bad news. So then Denise, you know, decided to take them back to Elton. Later, you know, again, when she was in court and was testifying, she was asked, why didn't she leave earlier? You know, again, like I said, she stayed 30 minutes later um, and helped them. And so she was asked, well, why didn't you leave? And she said, well, it was because I was afraid. She said, I did not want what happened to Gwen Duggar to happen to me. Oh, so she's throwing out that there's something that happened to Gwen Duggar involving them. Yes, because she said, you know, she had witnessed it and she saw that it was, quote, just like when Gwen Duggar was killed. The chick that was at the party back in, was it May of 86? And she just disappeared? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Denise witnessed that. The last night that Gwen Duggar was seen was in 1986. She was, quote, fed pills by Pat, Pete, and two other unidentified men. Denise has stated that she had walked into a bedroom and saw that Pat was having sex with Gwen. 
Wait, that's her husband. Yeah. That's why she left him. Like, we, we were talking earlier about him wanting a husband and a bitch. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes. He really... And not only that, like, what? So Gwen was not only being, let's just call it for what it is, raped, but she was semi-conscious, so... She, oh, so she wouldn't even... She couldn't even say no. Yeah, which is why I said basically it was rape. So, yeah. 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 So it, he was raping this chick right in front of his wife. Mm-hmm. No God fucks were given. his ass, too. Denise... Of course, was really upset about it, obviously. And she said that she, quote, lost it and began slapping Gwen and started screaming at her husband. I guess to try to, like, wake up Gwen. She was slapping her. I don't know. I because... was going to say, like, it's not really Gwen's fault. Yeah, I, mean, I saw your maybe face. Maybe she shouldn't have been there, but you you can't victim blame. You're right. And I saw your face. I also said, I, that's why I interjected yeah, and yeah. saw, you know. I think maybe Denise. I mean, you some know, girls do get mad and take it out on the girl. True, true. I hope this wasn't the case. I hope she was trying to help her. Again, but we'll never know. No, never will. But anyway, quick recap with that. When sorry, Denise had walked in on Gwen and Pat having sex. Denise quote lost it and hit Gwen or slapped Gwen. Started yelling at Pat. Got it. Got it. Okay. So. Pat then got really upset, stood up and grabbed an axe handle, went to Gwen, and I'm assuming Gwen was standing up because Denise reported that well, Pat... He probably had her pinned against the wall or something. Something. I mean, he's I don't... a big guy. True. It wouldn't be anything for him to hold someone up. True, true, true. But um, rep- uh, Denise reported that Pat had taken the axe handle and hit Gwen in the back of the head two times. The first time was enough to buckle her knees, and the second time, quote, she went down, end quote. So it probably knocked her out. Yeah. Denise reported that Pete, okay, remember, Pat is the one who hit... He's the one that's... With the axe Raping her. Yes. And so Brother Pete now walks into the room. Well, there's a lot of commotion going on, I'm sure. Yes. And has a twenty two pistol and... Oh, yeah, because Pete don't stand for any shit. Right. Right. And he puts two bullets into Gwen's head. So Gwen... Probably was almost dead, if not already dead. But Pete came along and just kind of more or less finished it. Um, and and shot Gwen in the head two times. The twins then put Gwen into the backyard. And they put her body into a 55-gallon drum and burned it. It took approximately three nights for this to happen. There was nothing but ashes left. And they reportedly dumped ashes into a creek that was on the property of the farmhouse. Pete was reported to keep the bullet casings that he used to shoot Gwen. He would carry them around in his hand, supposedly, or in his pocket. And if somebody said something that rubbed him the wrong way or upset him, he would rattle the casings and he would point at the person and say, quote, or sorry, that he would threaten the people and say that they would, quote, witness the same fate um, or face the same fate that Gwen did if they didn't act right. Well, that's, I mean, he's just walking around intimidating people. There's no body, no crime, as we mentioned before. Yes. So he's just walking around saying, hey, I did this. You're going to be, you're going to be next if you say something. Yeah. Yes. He's just a big bully. If you don't act right. If you don't act right. What was he like the town daddy? I guess so. (laughs) Fuck off with that. 
<laughs> so the investigators started really looking to, you know, why Ronnie disappeared. Because remember during all this chaos, before Gwen, Ronnie is just kind of like, what the fuck? You know, what, what yeah, happened to him? he just disappeared. That's right. That's right. So they were looking for, investigators started looking into Ronnie, which just like Gwen, you know, there was no evidence. So they couldn't really go any further with that. Um, but there were suspicions about the Bondurant twins because it was reported that the twins had burned down Ronnie's home. Ronnie Gaines' home. Well, probably to get rid of evidence. Yes. Um, I was because they the seem thing. to be getting away with stuff as long as they get rid of the evidence. Yes, exactly. Um, that's, some, that's some shitty work. <laughs> it is. It is. The state marshal had reported that he had enough evidence to at least bring Pat in for questioning. During that time... You know, they brought Pat in. They tried to ask him, you know, do you happen to have any idea about what happened to Ronnie and why rumors are floating around that you burn his house down? And Pat said, no, but can I have a lawyer? And once it was a lawyer got there, Pat reported that he had an alibi. And his alibi was with his girlfriend, Terry Lynn Clark. Look, your mama, your wife, your girlfriend, your significant other... Your daddy, they cannot be your alibi. They they just can't. They gonna lie for you. Well, if you don't, then you, as we'll see, you'll... I mean, I guess it's better than nothing, but, man, I hope hope cops take it with a grain of salt. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. They were like, okay, all right, we'll see, you know, so you, you claim that you were out of town with your girlfriend, Terry Lynn. All right. But, you know, we'll see. They scheduled an interview for Terry, or with uh, Terry on November 18th of 1986. All right, everything's good to go. You know, we're going to wait for the 18th roll around. We'll see what, ha- what she has to say. Go from there. Well, two days before the 18th, on November 16th, Terry was reported mysteriously dead at the twins' home. So she just comes up dead right before she's supposed to be his alibi? Two days before, yeah. Okay. The brothers, they were reported to have called the police saying that they thought that Terry may have died of an overdose or she may have passed away in her sleep. They didn't know. Oh, so they called the they called the cops themselves? Yes. Yes, they did. I wonder if they uh, were really taken by surprise by this or if they were trying to set it up to where they didn't have to get rid of a body. Because they had already gotten rid of a body or two by now. Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe. Uh, Maybe they wanted to be lazy on this one and try to get away with it. Just to see? Yeah, right, right. For shits and giggles. Let's see what happens, all right? So, police get there, and Pat tells the police that he and Terry Lynn were gone out of town the night of Ronnie's disappearance, right? That was what he was going to go with, and nobody could really question it now because Terry Lynn was no longer there to confirm it or deny it. You know, we just had to go with it. We'll have to take a pause real quick on kind of like what's going on with Terry Lynn, and I'll pick you up in a minute with, with that. Due to all of this, no body, no evidence, no leads, no new, infra- new, blah, no new information, um, the cases went cold for three years. That was, of course, until 1989, Detective Michael Chapman was assigned on one of the cases regarding, you know, the three disappearances. And he happened to come across nobody other than Miss Denise, because Denise at the time was dating a law enforcement officer. So she went from dating a bad boy to a cop. Mm-hmm. Well, at least she went in the right direction, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I guess she kind of had to. <laughs> I mean, maybe she thought he could protect her, right? Maybe. Maybe. Detective Chapman knew Denise had a connection to the Bondurant twin, so he was like, well, let me take you out to coffee. Let's have a chit-chat. Let me see what you can, you know, what you might be able to tell me. Denise said, okay, 
I will admit I do have some things to tell you, but I will refuse to tell you anything until you give me immunity. Well, yeah, she had a lot of hands in in a uh, couple things. Yes, yeah, she did. She witnessed Gwen's murder. Yeah. And uh, she helped cover it up because she, she called as Ronnie Gaines' wife. Yes. Yes, and she participated in that too. So she said, I'll, I'll tell you the details if you can guarantee that I will get immunity. Detective Chapman said, okay, I'll see what I can do. Well, that that's pretty big for a cold case. Especially, it is. you know, three years down the road. It is. So Detective Chapman was able to pull it off and he... Got Denise immunity. It was granted. Denise told everything. She told the details about what happened to Gwen. She told the details about what happened to Hippie, a.k.a. Ronnie. She said that, you know, she had some suspicions about what happened to Terry Lynn because she reported that she had seen Pete give Terry Lynn a powerful barbiturate called Seco Barbitual. Barbit- blah, 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 blah. Seco bar- Secobarbital. Thank, thank you. Uh, called secobarbital. I can't say it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, regardless, she got the barbiturate while she was sitting in a beanbag chair. Uh, secobarbital is a drug used to treat insomnia. It's also believed to relieve anxiety before surgery. It's in the barbiturate class, working by slowing the brain activity, which is what led to her overdose. Now, now, secobarbital is considered to be an obsolete sleeping pill. It's uh, largely been replaced by benzodiazepines, which are... I believe, such as Valium and other Xanax, stuff like that. Yeah. Lonapin. Yeah. So, regardless, it was, it's something... It's going to knock you out. Yes. Of course, you know, that leads to Tyrion being vulnerable and as... And they may have just overdosed her. Yes. Purposely. Yes. And so they probably were like, oh shit, she's supposed to go testify. What are we going to do? So or that, maybe they, they that's the why cops. they said, oh shit, she's about to go testify. Let's get some drugs True. in her. True, yeah. I didn't Let's think of it that way. Her. Denise's statement regarding all the things that happened had led to investigators having enough evidence to be able to go search the farm home. And so this was able to get the twins in for questioning. They were asked about the murders of Gwen, Ronnie, and Terry Lynn. The twins pled not guilty. It led to a trial. Um, the trial only lasted for a couple of weeks and most of the verdict was strictly based off of Denise's testimony because she was, um, saying as a key witness. I remember seeing some stuff. Obviously I was born in 1990. You were born in 1991. Mm -hmm. So this was real close to the time we were born, but I, I do remember seeing some stuff during research that the whole community actually turned on them. Yeah. They were all against them. Yeah. And the Bondurants were eating up the attention. Yes, yes. They are definitely attention whores. So, Pat was convicted of first-degree murder, and Pete was convicted of helping his brother with dismembering the bodies and burning them. They both were charged with arson due to burning Ronnie's home. But, however, they received second-degree murder charges only because there was charred remains of the bodies and they didn't have full actual bodies. I guess back in this time, I guess DNA wasn't as advanced. DNA, they, DNA had just literally came out in the 70s, so yeah. Uh, it well, was, I, yeah, I guess I'm a little off on that. It, but it... They they probably weren't as advanced. Maybe no. they they couldn't get the stuff from the the ashes to yes 
to show it's them. Yes, yes. So they they were at least had enough proof to say, hey, we know for sure these are the three people. And so that's why they got second degree murder charges. So Pat was convicted of killing Ronnie Gaines. They were both convicted of killing Gwen Duggar. And Pete was convicted of Terry Lynn's murder. Pat was given a life sentence and Pete was given 25 years. That's, that's crazy being that Pete's the one that had the rap sheet before for manslaughter and attempted manslaughter. And you would think that that would carry on, but again... You, you would think was, they would at least think about it. It was just a slap on the wrist. But Pete went on to serve his 25 years. He was released in December 26 of 2016 at the age of 61. Fun fact... When he was released from prison, he created a Facebook account and posted a picture of himself smiling and wearing overalls and a flannel shirt. So this dude gonna get out of prison after 25 years and just come out like he's still big boss. Yeah, yeah, pretty he much. He still thinks his shit don't stink. And you think about it, he probably does still live in Elkton somewhere. Oh, he probably grid, does. Which is very creepy. I mean, where else would he go? That's all he knows. <sighs> I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I, I really don't either. I'm going to stop driving through there anytime. <laughs> and as for Pat, he's still continuing to serve his life sentence. He is serving it at River Bend Maximum Security Prison in Nashville, Tennessee. He is not considered for parole until the year 2070. But of course, both of them are still alive. As you know... Pat is still in prison, and Hopefully Pete, he will die there. Hopefully. Pete um, should be there. Pete should, but he's still laying, supposedly, knock on wood, off the radar. But that's the Bondurant twins. The serial killers no one really hears about. Yeah, yeah. Just terrifying. Especially from our hometown or around the area. But, you know, I guess it provides some type of closure. At least, because I will say, I know there are stories that we're going to cover that will not always have. Oh, closure. no. The next story is going to be great and funny. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll make up for it. That'll be the, the palate cleanser for this lovely topping of a first. Um... <laughs> so make sure you catch our next episode, because you, I know you need something after this dark, fucked up mess. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. And we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you keep listening. I See ya. Thank you. Our research is done by ourselves, Shelby Hudgens and Courtney Pilot. Special thanks to Tina Collins for helping us come up with several of our ideas, helping us research and managing us. And we are a lot to manage. Special thanks to myself for editing this. And I just want to apologize. I am so sorry.